0: Listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Send in your question or comment. To participate in the show, you can text or call 757 774 8482. Or to email the show, you can go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E R I C D A W.com. Click the contact link and send your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the show. It's the Fret Files, the Guitar Tech Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, a longtime guitar builder and repairman. And uh no co-host today. It's just me, flying solo. Kind of an unusual show for me today because uh you know, typically I do this show kind of in the evening. It's like uh after the sun goes down, the kids are in bed, you know. That that kind of thing. Today it's uh It's a morning show, so I'm sitting here with a full cup of Apex coffee, and uh, I'm just going to do this show by my lonesome, and we're going to answer a bunch of questions and do some news and do all kinds of things. First things first. Wait, let me take a sip of my Apex coffee. It's morning. Give Give me a minute. Give me just a minute here. I don't have to be talking every second is let me sip my coffee. Uh, First of all, a big congratulations and a thank you to Jim Corliss of Columbia, Maine. Jim took up the challenge, if if you recall the last episode, we had a challenge, uh, to draw a schematic for a guitar that would have the blend circuit combined with a series setting for a Telecaster-style guitar. So... Uh, gosh, I can't remember the the listener. Oh, I think it was Andy. Andy in, uh, Deniliquin. Deniliquin. Australia, I believe, suggested this schematic or requested this schematic. But, um, basically in the bridge position, you've got the blend circuit. So bridge pickup with, uh, you can, you can blend in the neck pickup with the, with the blend knob. Middle position would be neck pickup only, and then all the way forward, which would traditionally be the neck position, would be series, so Jim took up the gauntlet and drew that out for us. I haven't had a chance to uh to wire it up and test it, and neither has Jim so as of yet it is only theoretically working. Neither one of us has tested it, but we're going to test it. And then uh, once I get that squared away, I will forward it to anyone who wants it, actually. But uh, Jim gets a copy of my Solid Sound book. Congratulations, Jim, and thank you for sending that in. I do appreciate it. So he's going to get a free copy of Solid Sound, my book about guitar wiring. If you don't have a copy, you can go to solidsoundbook.com and get one for yourself. Check it out. Let's do uh let's do some guitar news. What do you say?
1: Guitar news.
0: I came across this article and it, you know, it this happened last year, so it's not exactly new news, but uh eh, that's okay. It's new to us. It's new to me. Randy Bachman was reunited with a Gretsch guitar. That was stolen in the 70s. I mean, this guitar was missing for 46 years. And, uh, it showed up in Japan and he's been reunited with it. It, uh, he recalls <laughs> crying for three days when it disappeared in 1977, he says. This is from Billboard.com. Randy Bachman reunited with Cherished Guitar 46 years after it was stolen. So, uh, Canadian rock legend Randy Bachman, formerly of Bachman-Turner Overdrive and The Guess Who. You know, I don't think I ever made that connection. He was in The Guess Who. Okay, 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 that makes sense. Now, he wrote American Woman and other hits on this guitar, and it was stolen in the 70s. It showed up in a guitar store in Tokyo, and a Japanese musician bought it without knowing its history. Uh Bachman said all his guitars are special but the orange 57 Gretsch 6120 Chet Atkins he bought as a teenager was exceptional. Oh, I can imagine. I mean that would be sentimental if he had it since he was a teenager. That's a big deal, man. I've got a couple of guitars that I've had that long and it's they're they're not good guitars. It's not a Gretsch 6120, but they're sentimental to me. Yeah. Yeah. He had worked up multiple jobs to save money to buy the $400 guitar, his first purchase of an expensive instrument. Quote, it made my whole life. It was my hammer and tool to write songs, make music, and make money, Bachman told the Associated Press before the handover at the Canadian Embassy in Tokyo. Oh, wow. What an interesting deal. I wonder how this uh, guy who found it figured it out. The fan, William Long used a small spot in the guitar's wood grain, visible in old images as a digital fingerprint, and tracked the instrument down to a vintage guitar shop site in Tokyo. Huh. The Canadian fan who heard the story of the guitar and launched an internet search successfully located it in Tokyo within two weeks. Wow! The Bachman talked frequently about the missing guitar in interviews and on radio shows, and more recently on YouTube programs. Wow. So, a fan... Heard about this missing guitar and tracked it down. (sighs) Wow. Quote, I was crying, Buckman said. The guitar almost spoke to me over the video, like, hey, I'm coming home. I guess this fan sent him a video after he found it. That's incredible. That's incredible. I mean, you ever had a guitar stolen or anything of value stolen? I mean, the chances of you getting it back decrease incrementally, you know, exponentially the longer you go without it, right? Yeah, I mean, once the case goes cold, man, good luck. But here we have another guitar, Steve Vai. Had a uh, guitar that was missing. Steve Vai's stolen Swiss cheese guitar. Wow, that's an, I gotta say, Steve, I gotta say, that's kind of an ugly guitar. But hey, to each his own to each his own. I don't want to disparage your, uh, you know, Swiss cheese guitar. It was it was the guitar used for David Lee Roth's Yankee Rose video. It was missing for 36 years. The iconic Swiss cheese guitar. It's green with a it looks like a god, what is it? It I don't see a brand name on it. Steve Vai's distinctive Swiss cheese guitar which was stolen from a Pasadena Oh, hold on, i got a pop-up. That's that's helpful. Which was stolen from a Pasadena rehearsal space in 1986, has been returned to the guitarist after being discovered in an attic in Tijuana, Mexico. Wow. Wow, this is from com. The guitar was originally used in the video for David Lee Roth's Yankee Rose and was due to be taken out on tour that summer, but after the theft, it had been missing for 36 years until it was discovered last year in his grandparents' Tijuana attic by... Ivan Gonzalez Acosta. Seems that people that lived in his grandparents' house before them purchased the guitar somewhere along the way, and it was just stuck in the attic only to be discovered recently when they were reorganizing things. Wow. Another, can you imagine having a guitar stolen and having it missing for 30, 40 years? (coughs) that is wild. Quote. Thank you, Ivan, for your kind consideration and for reuniting me with this piece of my history. Receiving this guitar feels like an old friend has returned home after so many years to jam with me. I believe that we will make a wonderful ham and Swiss sandwich together. (laughs) Oh, Steve Vai. Well, I tell you what, that is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I I was thinking about stolen guitars because a good customer of mine named... Brock, who lives here in Idaho, called me yesterday to inform me that three of his uh, custom guitars have been stolen, so I'm on the lookout for those, and I'm trying to remember what they're... Hold on just a second. I'm going to look it up, what brand they are. Oh, that's the Epiphone Demon V. He had three of these highly customized Epiphone Demon Vs. They were customized to have two output jacks because he would run... Like a He would run, I think he would run the bass strings to one amp and the treble strings to a different amp. I can't remember how we wired it up. But if you see, if you're in Idaho or in the Northwest and you see an Epiphone Demon V that's been customized to have two jacks, reach out to me because those guitars are stolen. There's three of them, and I know who they belong to. So just putting that out there, you know? I mean, I have a podcast. I might as well use it for good stolen guitars we should have a stolen guitar segment if you have a guitar that's stolen and you've been looking for it for a long time send me a message and i will put it on the air Just give me a every you know send me a picture send me serial numbers anything you want i'll put it on the air maybe we'll find your stolen guitar that'd be great i hate man there's a special place in hell for guitar thieves that is really i mean that is really low really Really low. Just terrible, anyway. I'm inspired by the uh, stories of Randy Bachman and uh, Steve Vai getting reunited with their guitars. But what about us non-famous people? Hmm. What are we supposed to do? If I get a guitar stolen, I don't. I. I don't have fans to look for it. I don't have. Uh, I don't have guitar magazines that are going to go searching for it. Oh well. Uh, we We have a call. Let's take a call and get on with the show.
1: Hey, Eric, it's Bob in Boulder County, Colorado. I have a couple of questions and a comment. First question is of the various materials that are available for saddles, such as Telecaster saddles, brass, various grades of steel, stainless steel, carbon steel. I'm not even sure what the variety is. Can you characterize the sound of the different saddles and how they might sound different from one another? Second question is, do you ever adjust a fender neck without picking it off the guitar? There is a little indentation in the pickguard right where the screwdriver can go. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. And thirdly, I, you have an interesting way of pronouncing Yamaha. You're the only person I've ever heard make it sound like a sweet potato, like a Yamaha. Everybody I know says Yamaha. How did you get, come up with that? (laughs) Thanks. Love the podcast. Glad to contribute.
0: Well, thank you. I think. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad that you like the podcast. I have just Googled something. We're gonna ch- we're gonna check this out here. Hold on. Yamaha. Say it again. Yamaha. I'll say it slowly. Hold on. Okay, this is a pronunciation guide. Yamaha. 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 yum, yam- like Yamaka. Yamaha. 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 I'm gonna say it how I want. I don't know, Bob. I say it how I want. I just. I, I've i been accused of having an accent. Let's say that. Let's say that much. Some kind of like, you know, extreme Western Midwest accent. I don't know. I used to have customers in uh, Seattle when I worked at the vintage guitar store, Emerald City Guitars over there in Seattle. I had British customers who would come in, and I could understand them fine. They could not understand me. I, I don't know why that was. It's like a. I have a rural accent, Bob. So I guess I say Yamaha, and most people say ya, Yamaha. We're splitting hairs here. It's a it's a subtle difference. I don't know. Anyhow, what were your questions, Bob? Before we got so uh, Yamaha. Okay, thanks, lady. Uh. Do I ever adjust truss rods on Fender guitars without taking the neck off? Yeah, I've done it. There's times when it's appropriate and times when it's not. Here's the deal. It's hard to... There's often just a little bit of the truss rod uh, accessible, right? So, like on on many Telecaster-style guitars, if you take the pick guard off there is a route there that makes it very accessible. The pickup's kind of in the way. It's hard to adjust it without, you know, first of all, you'll gouge up the pit guard if you don't take the pit guard off. So you got to take the pit guard off. And then if there's a route there and a a channel to access the truss rod, you can adjust it there. But I see a lot of tellies that have a little ding in the middle of the neck pickup, and that's from people jamming a screwdriver against it. So... The, uh, it can be done and it can be done cleanly. Just be careful. Uh, mm, a lot of times it's necessary to take the neck off. The nice thing about adjusting the neck with it on is you can adjust it with string tension and you can do fine tuning where it's a bit of a guessing game when you take the neck off because you don't have any string tension and then you don't really know exactly where you're at until you put the neck back on and get it up to pitch, strung up to pitch. So, yeah, it can be done, but um, usually you take the neck off to adjust it. It also depends on, you know, sometimes there's neck shims in there, and that'll make the uh, neck sit higher, and it makes the truss rod more accessible. So, sometimes that's the case. But tellies have that little access route. Strats don't... Uh, I think, yeah, strats don't. Most Fender models don't. I think the Tellys. I think the Telly's the only one that has the little access route if you remove the pit guard. I think. Now that I've said that, I'm second-guessing what I've said. But that's my memory of it. That is my memory of it. Uh, What was your other question, Bob? Uh, Let me think. It was... oh. Saddles. Telecaster saddles. Brass versus stainless steel versus titanium. He wants to know, can I characterize the sound of the different saddles and how they might sound different from one another? Well, (coughs) it's subtle, is my opinion, Bob. It's subtle. I could take um, two identical Telecasters, right? One with brass saddles and one with titanium saddles. And if I had, let's say, a guitar player with a distinctive tone, like, <clears throat> for me, Jimmy Vaughn. Like, I recognize, when I hear Jimmy Vaughn play, I know it's Jimmy Vaughn. We could have him play those two tellies, one with brass settles, one with titanium settles. And he's going to sound like Jimmy Vaughn on both of them. You know what I mean? So, uh, a, a lot of it has to do with the player, how you pluck the string, your settings on your amp. Um, if you're running through pedals or effects, but all things being equal, my understanding is the softer the metal is, so that would be brass, or the harder the metal is, that would be like titanium, there's a range of brightness. And that's my understanding is the softer the metal is, uh, it's not as bright. And as you go up in hardness towards stainless steel, titanium... You get a little bit brighter sound. Now, I don't think you're going to listen to a record and say, Oh, that sounds like titanium saddles, right? I wonder if painters do this. Do painters do this? Like they look at a painting and they go, Oh, that looks like he used a, a 0.01 brush with, with, uh, with horsehair bristles, you know? Is this just a guitar player thing where we obsess over? <laughs> We obsess over every little part of the guitar and how it affects the sound. Yeah, you can get different, uh, different metals for saddles. I have, uh, I have my main guitar is a Telecaster style guitar. It has steel saddles from the sixties. They sound great. If I put brass saddles on there, I don't know if I would notice a big difference. I think it's subtle. I think it's more subtle than people would would think. But when you go to buy things like this, they'll write, uh, you know, a description about how it's going to change your life. Oh, you're going to get more sustain and more clarity and better high-end with this particular alloy. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It it's certainly uh it's certainly possible that different metals you know change the sound. But I'm I'm saying yes, but it's subtle. That's what I'm saying. Thank you, Bob, for the call. We're gonna take a little break and uh, then we'll be right back with more after this.
1: After these messages we'll be right back.
0: This episode of the Fret Files podcast is brought to you by Apex Coffee Roasters. Imagine always having fresh roasted coffee in your home now. Imagine you didn't even have to leave the house for it. A subscription with Apex Coffee Roasters makes all of this possible. You choose the plan that best suits your needs and they handle the rest. Their roaster will select a coffee option just for you and send it your way. Discounts are applied if you get a six month or a year long subscription. And shipping included if you're in the USA. Great coffee every morning. Just cut a little bit easier. That's apexcoffeeroasters.com And if you go there and use my promo code you get an additional 10 percent off that's pinup p-i-n-u-p that's at apexcoffeeroasters.com we've talked a lot about neck straightening irons on the show and people write to me and they say eric where can i get one well until now i didn't have anywhere to send people because nobody makes them anymore except for my buddy rick at PlayersGearMusic.com You can go to PlayersGearMusic You can order a neck straightening iron, some people call it a neck press or a neck heater It is an invaluable tool in my shop I use it all the time, I'd be lost without one of these I I love having a neck straightening iron and Rick is making a really, really stout industrial it, I, th- I think it I think it's the best one that I've used, and I've I've used a lot. I've used uh, the commercially available ones that they used to sell in the 70s and 80s, but they don't sell them anymore. Well, now you can get one from playersgearmusic.com. They're $7.49. I know that seems like a lot. It's, it's a tool, I tell you what, it's going to pay for itself a hundred times over. If you go to playersgearmusic.com, Scroll down on the main page, scroll, scroll, scroll down to where it says Fan of the Fret Files Podcast, you click that That adds one to your cart And it's 50 bucks off, so instead of $7.49, it's $6.99 $6.99, free shipping, and it's yours A next straightening iron, playersgearmusic.com has them And you need one, I'm telling you So go to playersgearmusic.com and check it out, and don't forget to tell Rick that the Fret Files podcast sent you. Ladders. We get ladders. We get stacks and stacks Uh of ladders. Uh 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 Right to the emails we go, hi, Eric, I really enjoy your podcast. Thank you. I put on every new episode while I'm on the bench. While you're on the bench, or while your guitars are on the bench? Uh How do you feel about using steel wool on frets? Maybe you've touched on this before, and I missed it. This seems to be a polarizing topic among Texan luthiers. Some swear by it, some swear against it. I've been using it for years. Triple aught grade steel wool with great results, but it takes so much time to prep the guitar to protect it from the debris, and it still gets everywhere, which takes time to clean up. I've tried the light, scotch-brite pads, but they don't seem to do as good of a job. Thoughts? Should I just suck it up and ditch the steel wool? Thanks. That's Jim in Dripping Springs, Texas. Yeah, thanks, Jim. I've certainly used it, and I certainly still do use it occasionally. I used to use it more. Uh, That's the issue, is that it gets little steel wool particles all over the place. Now, if you were working on only acoustic instruments, that wouldn't be that big of a deal, but with electric instruments... Pickups have magnets and those little steel wool particles stick to the magnets. And in the worst case scenario, uh, those little steel wool particles can get into the coil of your pickup and actually short the coil and kill pickups. It can also, I've had, I've had this situation before where <clears throat> somebody brings me their guitar and say, it's making this weird fuzzy noise occasionally. And if you look really close at the pickups, there's these little steel wool particles sticking to the pole pieces. And then I'll say, do you uh, polish your frets with steel wool? And they'll say, yeah. And I'll say, well, look at this. And sure enough, if one of those little steel wool particles kind of wiggles and vibrates while you're playing the guitar, you get a heck of a noise. It can make a weird little noise. And you could go chasing that noise all throughout your signal chain, and never find it because it's caused by these tiny little particles of steel wool on your pickups, so I tend to stay away from steel wool because I'm winding pickups all the time and working on electric guitars. If I have to use steel wool on something, typically what I do I take it outside in my in in the yard and make a mess out there and then blow it off with you know canned air or brush it off with a brush or something before I bring it back in the shop. Another trick, and this is from uh, Dave Stoudy. he takes steel wool and wraps it real tightly tightly in tape and makes kind of a steel wool stick, and then you can peel off the tape as you wear away the steel wool, but that really cuts down on steel wool particles. So if you take a roll, you know, a fresh pad of steel wool and roll it up real tight and wrap it with, like, blue painter's tape. You can just make a, a nice little steel wool stick. And that's what I've been doing lately. That's a trick we learned from a uh, podcast uh, guest, Dave Stouty down in Texas. So that's steel wool. Thanks, Jim. Next question. Hi, Eric. Love the show. I have a question about fret leveling for acoustic guitars, though this probably applies for electric guitars, too. I've been doing leveling on my own guitars and for friends' guitars for a few years now, and I think I'm getting pretty good at it. However, I still have issues getting the first fret leveled to the same amount as the others. My technique is to get the neck flat, sharpie the fret tops, and then place the beam on the high frets and slide it toward the nut so that all the frets get sanded with each swipe. But this means that the frets nearer the nut receive less sandpaper, since the beam eventually knocks into the nut and can't fully pass over the first few frets. I prefer using the beam, but same issue happens with a file, too. On my most recent attempt, I checked afterwards with a digital caliper, and the first fret was several thousandths of an inch higher than the rest. After leveling this way, I've been doing spot leveling where needed, but... This is time-consuming and tedious and creates room for error. Do you have a methodical way to make sure the first fret gets leveled as much as the others? Thanks for your help. Alan in North Carolina. Alan, you know, everybody's got their own kind of methods that they've honed over the years and uh, just techniques to make sure everything's leveling up properly properly. There's a few things that come to mind. Um, one would be, and this isn't, this isn't going to be, uh, popular and it's not going to be practical in every case, but you could remove the nut. A lot of guitars have a nut that's not glued in or not glued in very tightly. It just will pull right out. So that's an option, but it's certainly not practical in every case. Another, suggestion I have, and this is kind of what I do, is that, you know, I know that that first fret isn't getting as much contact with the file or with the paper. So I'll do kind of a back and forth at the at the end of my stroke, right? So I'm I'm running the beam across the frets, I reach the nut, and then I'll do a little jog, one, two, three, back and forth to get the that contact needed with that first fret it's not super precise but it works it's more precise than not doing it the other um, thing you can do is to finish it up if if you don't have uh, if you haven't filed the first fret down quite enough you can adjust the truss rod just a little bit put a tiny bit of relief in the neck And that's gonna pop that first fret or the, you know, the, the first few frets by the nut. It's, they're gonna kind of arc up and, and, uh, reach the, uh, get more contact with the, uh, with the beam or with the file, with the sandpaper, whatever your method is. So there's a few thoughts for you. There's a few thoughts for you. The other thing about it is, um, there's really no right, super right, or super wrong way to do this. I just like the way you're thinking, and I like how methodical you're getting, and I like that you're doing things like uh, measuring the height with a digital caliper. It's this kind of thought and this kind of practical application that makes for a great guitar tech. And, and so, good job, I would say. Thanks for the question. All right, next. Next question. Hello, Eric and Nat. Sorry, Nat's not here, man. I'm all alone today. Hello, Eric and Nat. I was recently thumbing through my copy of Solid Sound. Oh, you bought my book. Thank you. I was recently thumbing through my copy of your Solid Sound book and decided to give Eric's Jazzmaster schematic a shot. After carefully wiring it up and plugging it in, everything seems to be in working order. Master volume and tone work fine, pickup selection working, and the middle position is clearly quackier when I flip the phase switch. Awesome! However, either my ears are broken or there's no discernible difference when rolling the phase shift or bass cut. I'm suspecting this is perhaps a ground issue. I ran the on-on switch ground wire to the ground lug of the pickup selector switch, which is then grounded to the volume bot. Could this be the culprit? How can I make the effect more prominent? Thanks for the excellent book, and I love the podcast. Brandon in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, Brandon. I'm so glad that people are experimenting with the schematics in that book. I worked a long time on those schematics, and I'm happy to share them with you. This question is a little tough for me, and this is the first question of its kind, I think, that I've gotten about the book. And this this was my fear. In writing the book, my fear was I was going to be inundated with emails saying, "Eric, I tried your schematic on page 19 and XYZ doesn't work. What did I do wrong?" Well, I don't know. Without putting your guitar on my bench and troubleshooting it, I don't know. I I can tell you that I have experimented with those schematics a lot, and I like triple and quadruple checked them, I am quite sure, I'm quite sure that they're all accurate. So I would say double, triple check your work, make sure everything's cool. Um, I can't remember if, I think, I can't remember on that schematic, I'd have to look at the book. I can't remember if that, if those upper controls are only active when the uh, phase switch is engaged. I can't remember. Mm, See, it's just been too long since I've wired it up. If you you want to give me a call, Brandon, when you've got the guitar on your bench and open, you can give me a call. I'll get out my copy of the book. We can look at it together with me on the phone and see if we can get to the bottom of it. I am not 100% sure... Yeah, check all your grounds, make sure everything's grounded. A lot of times um when a tone pot isn't working and you've got you're talking about the bass roll off. A lot of times uh I've seen this plenty of times where when you soldered the capacitor on the heat from the soldering iron cooked the capacitor. So check that capacitor, see if it could be the capacitor. I do know that the that little phase um what did i call it uh the uh phase shift pot it only really th- so there's like a sweet spot in that in the roll on that pot where things will shift right so like and this is just because of how the potentiometers work 80% of that pot is going to do kind of nothing And then there's going to be this sweet spot where you can really dial in a little phase shift. If you're not finding that, then something's wrong. Something's not wired right, or you've got a bad capacitor or something. But I promise you that schematic works because I've wired it up myself. Next question. Hello, Eric. I follow a lot of custom and boutique guitar builders on Instagram. Now I'm going to get complaints about how I said boutique. (laughs) boutique boutique i don't know yamaha yamaha let's start again hello eric i follow a lot of custom and boutique guitar builders on instagram and i've noticed that the way different builders will do fret ends varies a lot some like the crisp half moon style and some go for a very rounded over semi-hemispherical fret end Ooh, nice which do you prefer and why is there advantages to each? Thanks, Will, in Connecticut. Well, thanks for the question, Will. Yes, there are differences in advantages and disadvantages, I think. The semi-hemispherical ends uh, look, to me, I it doesn't quite look right. I don't like the way they look. Now, if you do semi-hemispherical ends on your fret ends or on your custom builds, there's nothing wrong with that. <clears throat> this is just my opinion. I'm kind of a vintage enthusiast, and I like the way fret ends looked on on old, vintage guitars. Usually uh, a little crisp half-moon, right? A little crescent. But it's kind of a modern thing to have these super rounded-over, shiny, rounded-over guitar fret ends. Now, what's cool about it is they feel super smooth to your hand when you play you're not feeling any fret end at all and some players really like that if you have a sensitive you know like a sensitivity to fret ends and believe me as as a luthier i'll tell you some customers have a sensitivity to fret ends <laughs> like you can't sand and polish and file the fret ends enough for some guys so Semi-hemispherical fret ends are really good for a customer like that, if you like uh, to not feel any fret end at all. The downside, I think, the downside is that it, um, it cuts down on the playing surface of the fret. There's just no way around it. If you round off the fret end, then if you go to bend toward the end of the neck or even if you're just playing the high E aggressively, that high E can just slip right off the fret end. I like the crisp crescent fret ends because you're getting maximum playing surface of the fret. The, f- the string is less, like, less prone to slide off the fret end, and I think it looks nicer. It looks more uniform. Um, that's just me. So I like the crescent half moon fret ends now i don't like them sharp you know i'll sand them and polish them and make them comfortable but i don't i don't do semi hemispherical fret ends that's just me if you do godspeed thank you will all right let's do the next question i think this is yeah this is the last one here we go Hello, Eric. I own one of your custom guitars, a T-style, and I'm thinking about installing a mini humbucker in the neck. I wanted to contact you about your thoughts on this setup. I'm thinking of possibly a Lawler Firebird. Any input would be appreciated. Thanks from Josh. Well, I mean, that's... First of all, thank you for owning one of my guitars. I do appreciate that. I don't know if you bought it from me or if you bought it on the used market, but regardless of that, I'm glad that you own and like one of my guitars. Uh, I don't put many humbuckers in neck positions in my guitars when I build them. So that might tell you something there, but, uh, you probably, you've probably already, this has probably already occurred to you, but I'm just going to back it way up to the beginner level for any newbies that are listening to the podcast. When you switch out pickups in a guitar, there's a lot of things to consider. Firstly, size. So if you're going to put a mini humbucker in the neck position of a Telecaster, it doesn't fit. Now, 99.9% of you just said, duh, we know, Eric. Well, okay. I mean, it's it's something to consider. You have to route out the body, to make that fit. You have to route out the pickguard to make it fit. Those things can't be undone. So, that's something to consider. There's kind of a commitment to this. It's not just a straight swap. It won't fit. So that's something to consider. Uh, The body and the pickguard have to be routed out, right? And that's not reversible. Now, for me, I'm not crazy about the way Mini humbuckers look in a tilly. Now that's just me. If you like it and if that's what you want, go for it. Like I've often said on this show, pickups are like ice cream flavors. So just because I like something doesn't necessarily mean you're going to like it, right? You have to go for the flavor you want. Uh, but I wouldn't want a mini humbucker on, on any of my guitars. It's just not the tone I'm after. Now, if you want a humbucker tone, You can actually, this is something to consider, if you want a humbucker tone on your telly, you can actually just rewire the switch to get a series setting, which will use the two existing pickups to make a stealth humbucker setting without swapping out any pickups. If you have my book, (laughs) the mod's in there. Shameless plug. Uh, But it's pretty easy to do, and uh, that would give you a humbucker setting without swapping out pickups at all. But if you want a mini humbucker or a Lawler Firebird or whatever you want in a guitar I made, well, you know, go for it. Don't pay any mind to me if you want to do it. Commit to it and do it and enjoy it. But just know that uh, you can't undo a route. Well, not very easily. Not very easily. Uh, there's also other considerations like um, when you're swapping out pickups like pick up phase problems and pick up polarity, but if with a humbucker combined with a single coil, you shouldn't have really, you shouldn't have any problems there. So that does it for the show. If you want to participate in the show, and you really should send in your question or comment. You can go to ericdaw.com, click the contact link, and send in your question or comment there. The other way to do it is to call or text 757 774 8482 and we'll use your call on the show. It's just a voicemail. You can call anytime, night or day. I'm not going to answer it. You can just leave a message there. Alrighty, friends. That's it for the show. We'll talk to you next time. Bye bye.